will eventually get to the book of Jude. They tell me it's the least read book in all the Bible. How many of you have ever read the book of Jude? Oh, good, good. Come on, 25 verses. That shouldn't be too hard. Uh, but they say it's one of the least read books in all the Bible. I found that a little astonishing. We've been on a journey of basic truths, foundational truths for our life. And uh, I started with the Bible. And then we started looking at God the Father, our, the, the, our God. Haven't really looked at the Trinity yet. But... Uh, we came to the subject of the love of God, and we've been dealing with the five aspects of that love. Today is the fifth we'll look at. And by way of review, uh, we look and consider when we say God loves, we need to do some discriminating, some distinguishing, and quite what do you mean by that? And it goes this way. When you read in John 14 and 15, you pick up this love that goes on between the Trinity and has been going on since eternity past, the Father, the Son. Uh, other words, they've always been in community. And Ephesians says something that's quite striking. It says all the families of the earth get their name from the triune God. And the word name there has the idea we take on family life by the nature of the life that's been lived among the Trinity. Authority among equals, both in the church and in the home, is modeled after the Trinity. Quite an interesting thing. How can you have equals with different roles? And the Trinity is the living model of that. They've been loving each other from eternity past. Father loves the Son. Son loves the Father. Then you... Go to the second aspect of the love of God. Psalms 145 explains that, his love for creation. Uh, he, he gives the animals their food. He causes the grass to grow. He clothes the lily of the field. He watches over the bird that falls to the ground. So it's God's sometimes called providential love, that he, he's watching over all of his creation, and he loves him. The third love we looked at, was God's love for the world. God so loved the world that he gave up his own son. And so that is a universal love that has extended to every category of human being out there. God has gone on record. I love you. And the ever-present proof of that is the cross. That is my statement that I'm willing to put my son on a cross for the world. I love the world of lost human beings. Overwhelming, overwhelming. Then the last time we looked at God's love for his own, uh, going inward to the circle. And, and we do it as human beings all the time. Oh, I love you, brother. And then you turn, honey, I love you. Wait. In your mind, you made a distinguishing use of the word. You mean a totally different thing when you say, I love your brother, and then you turn and say, I love your wife. Totally, it just goes to a deeper level, but you're telling the truth on both levels. You're telling the truth, but you're distinguishing in mind, it's a different level of loving. 
God's love for Israel. You of all the nations of the earth have I chosen. There is no other chosen nation in all of history that you can prove biblically. Oh, we're a chosen nation. Well, that's nice you feel that way. I kind of enjoy it myself. But I can't say biblically I'm in a chosen nation. I'm under sovereign blessings of God. God chose little Israel. In the midst of all the Gentile world, he set his affection, and he's told them in Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 7, Deuteronomy 10, you weren't easy to get along with. You weren't the largest in number. I love you because I chose to love you. Abraham, I called you, I chose you, and Billy Graham didn't lead you to the Lord. I went down there sovereignly, made you my own. Chosen. Comes along with the church, a chosen body. We were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Say, I don't believe it. God doesn't care if you do or not. That's to your own detriment. He said he did. Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. It's wonderful when you submit to the Bible and quit arguing with it. God needs no editors. Just believe what he said. He spoke and he didn't stutter. Okay? Now today, we want to look at the fifth aspect, the conditional love of God even to his own people. The conditional love of God to his own people, which is a bit striking because uh, you could say... Uh, well, God will always love me. Well, in one sense, he will. He'll always love the world, even if they perish. Right? Uh, I, I just set up. Here's things that uh, is interesting to me. Uh, have you ever known a church to be shut down? Yeah, I, I know a lot of them. They no longer exist. What do you do when God threatens the seven churches of Asia Minor I'm going to blow out your lampstand if you don't do church the way I tell you. Were they loved when he put them out of business? Do you ever know, ever met a backslidden Christian? Now, some of you, if they're backslidden, they're no longer a Christian. I, I know people, they've lost the, they've lost the, uh, the joy of the Lord. They've lost uh, enjoying God. They've become maybe bitter, uh, a lot of messing up, uh, still loved by God in one sense, but listen to some verses like this. This isn't the message. We're going to get to the text. Let me read to you something D.A. Carson said, then I'll read you some verses. God's love is sometimes said to be directed toward his own people, in a provisional or conditional way. Condition, that is, on obedience. It is part of the relational structure of knowing God. It does not have to do with how we become true followers of the living God, but it characterizes our relationship once we do know him that we obey. And if we don't obey, we will lose the sense of his love. We will 
lose the sense of his presence, we will lose the sense of his blessing. Now listen to these verses. Psalms 119, 131. You don't have to turn. There's a lot of them. I'll just show you. Turn to me and be gracious to me after thy manner with those who love thy name. Turn and be gracious to me as one who loves your name. What if you're not loving his name? Ephesians 6.24, grace be with those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Now, he told a church, you've lost your first love. What was that? Romans 8.28, all things work together for wayward Christians that don't want to do God's will. All things work together in your stubborn choices because God is sovereign. He is going to overcome all your stupid choices that you made without consulting him. And now you're in a bad marriage and you're saying, where was my head when I did this? You weren't doing it God's way. Are you saved? Yeah. Are you blessed? Mm. James 4.8. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. We used to have a saying, if you don't feel close to God, guess who moved? (laughs) Psalms 103, verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. His steadfast love is great to a man or woman who fears him. If you've lost that fear, danger. Verse 13, Psalms 103. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And in the Bible, to fear God was a synonym with love God, obey God, serve God. It was an overall Old Testament synonym. It was loaded. So those who love Jesus Christ love to fear and reverentially look to him in awe and reverence. It's not a treacherous word to us who love the Lord. I love to fear his name. I love to give him respect and reverence and honor. I do fear the Lord. And it is a joy. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Psalms 103, 17, 18. I promise to bless you to the hundredth generation if you obey me. Second Chronicles 39 The Lord your God is gracious and compassionate and will not turn his face away from you if you return to him. Or um, turn to Jude. Jude, are you there? He's in a church that is struggling with apostate false teachers. They've crept in the church with damnable heresies. They're denying Jesus Christ. They are teaching that uh, live as you will, 
uh, it doesn't matter that the grace of God does not deliver you from sin, live as you want. Teach, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, sinful behavior. That grace has nothing to do with the way I live. So then he goes on. And verse 18, he begins, let's pick up verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passage. Now, I don't mind that fact as long as they don't want to join the church. But these people have got in the church. They're in the church scoffing. It is these who cause division. I don't care if they're divided down at the local bar. This is divisions in the church. They cause divisions. Worldly people, devoid of the spirit, they don't even have the spirit because they're not Christian but they're in the church. Now, but you, beloved, he's moving to the saved in the church, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. I must read this. It was my ordination verse that my father had drilled in me. Now to him who is able to keep you. Because everything in this book is falling. Sodom and Gomorrah fall. Angels fall. Israel fell. And you want to give up hope. I'm going to fall too. I'm going to fall. I don't have a chance. And you don't unless there's a keeper in your life. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. And my father would look at me. He either can keep you or he can't. He said he could. Because I grew up with people we lost in about twice a year. Had to have another revival for everybody to get prayed through again. He said, I can keep you. I can keep you. Now, he said, keep yourselves in the love of God. Are you ready for a grammar lesson? In the Greek, there's one main verb in this section and three definite participles. They're adjectival participles. They're descriptive of keeping yourself in the love of God. So it goes this way. If you were diagramming this in Greek, it'd go this way. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Eris present imperative. There it is. Do this. It's a command. And then you're asking, well, how? 
How, how do I do this? Participles, adjectival. You would put them underneath that main verb to keep yourself in the love of God. How? By building up yourselves in your most holy faith. One. Two, praying in the Holy Spirit. Three, watching, expecting the mercy of Jesus Christ. Four, showing mercy. Four things are Jude's way of telling you how to keep in the love of God. Because you can become lukewarm. You can lose your first love. You can leave, lose that first desire, that first passion, and be, just get in a rut in the Christian life. Everything become perfunctory. I mean, if you can go back when you were first saved, if you can remember the, the joy, you couldn't get enough. Uh, couldn't get enough church, couldn't get enough of being around God's people, rejoicing that you were saved. Uh, marvelous, marvelous, Peter said, is joy unspeakable and full of glory. And we used to sing that all the time. It's joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory. Now Jude is saying, everything around you seems to be falling. False teachers are abounding. I'm concerned for you, beloved, that you stay in love with Christ. That you not fall away from that love. And, you know, you can't keep the sun from shining, but you can sure get an umbrella. He tells Peter, or tells Timothy, stir up, stir up the gift in you. Fan it into full flame. He keeps saying, will you be awake when I come? Will you be alert? Or have you become bored with knowing God? Have you become ho-hum? Some of you are more like uh, you're inoculated, but you're not infectious. You can't really get the disease anymore because you've been inoculated with enough church and enough sermons that you don't have to worry, and, and you turn into being grumblers about the church because you have fallen out of love with the head of the church. There's a question God said to a man one time. It went this way. Backsliding Peter, I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah? Do you love me? Well, I think I do. Love my people. Take care of them. No, Lord, they're dirty. They can hurt you. They can disappoint you. And Jesus could say, and so have you done to me. Do you love me? I didn't ask you if you love them. First, do you love me? Well, yeah, I think I do. Take care of my lambs. Ooh, Lord, they're a mess. Just like you, Peter. I want to ask you a third time. Do you love me? I'll leave the answer up to you, Lord. So he's saying, I will only do certain things. I made a list of what God said, 11 things that God said he would do for people who cooperate with him. He said, if you love me, if you fear me, if you'll be humble, if you seek me as refuge, if you'll hope in me, uh, if you'll wait on me, all these conditions, I'll hear you if you wait. I'll hear you if you cry. 
Why do churches die? Because the congregation dies. They quit asking God to do something. They quit believing God to do anything. They become negative. They become critics of their own fellowship, and they quit evangelizing. They quit sharing, and Jesus has ceased to be the greatest thing in their life. Churches all over this country are dying, and we're no better than them. God said, you can't have blessing without cooperating. First of all, are you building up yourselves in your most holy faith? He uses a plural there. I think we normally take that. I used to build up yourself, and, and that's included, but it's a, it's a corporate word. Be building up the community of faith you're in by means of God's holy word. Uh, I said the faith has been once for all revealed in verse 3. Now I'm wanting you to take by means of that faith the word of God and be building up the body of Christ. Be building it up, edifying it, exhorting it. And I ask you, do you know how to build up other believers? Can you take the word of God and today, before anyone leaves here, that you've got a word from God that you could give to them to encourage, to comfort, uh, to stimulate them in their growth? Uh, some way, can you build up anybody with this book? Look, look at Acts 20. When he's talking to the elders at Ephesus, uh, this is kind of the life's verse of John MacArthur, and so I'm in good company uh, look at this. Uh, in Acts, he says in about, uh, in verse 32, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. God's word. Should we not be bleeding the word of God from us? Are you full of the word of God? What are you doing to get full of memorizing it, meditating on it, reading it, uh, studying it? The Bible. I, I'm amazed at how many are still so illiterate about the Bible. Do you know the Bible? I mean... I, I just got hungry to read the Old Testament again. I, I just finished Job. That's a rough go, by the way. I mean, you'd have a right to be depressed. Uh, it, it's heavy uh, and chronicle. But God talks to what do you know? You know as much about this book as you've made it an effort to know. And this will build you up as well as give you the instrumentality and the tool to build up the body. And so many times we're always waiting for uh, a church leader to do it. He says this to the whole body. This is to all of us. Be building up the body by means of the word of God. Two, I want you to be praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, before you guess at what that means, it starts with praying. Before you figure out what it means to pray in the Spirit, does that mean pray in tongues? Well, if that's the only way you prayed, it wouldn't bother God. 
If I bother your brother, don't tell him. 1 Corinthians 14, you know, uh, talks about they prayed in their spirit. That won't bother God. They at least showed up to pray. Are you even showing up to pray? When do you pray? And he said, a, a praying church is necessary to keep you in the love of God. If you're not praying, you're not in love with me. You know, um, I had a, uh, a sad story. A, a beloved brother of mine, he, um, he, he, uh, his wife left him. And so I saw him one day, and I was trying to save the marriage. And uh, he says to me, uh, Pastor, what do you say when your wife says this? I love you. I'm just not in love anymore. Wait, wait, let me get that again. I love you. But I'm no longer available to you. You better believe I'm not going to sleep with you. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to be with you. I'm moving out of the house. But I love you. I'm just not in love. Now, what does that mean? I love you, God. I just don't want to do what you say. I don't want to talk to you. Don't be offended. I just don't want to talk to you. I don't have anything to talk about. You mean you, you don't, other, you love me, but you're not in love with me. That's right. People in love with each other love to talk to each other. People in love with each other love to be with each other. People in love with each other share their lives with each other. People in love Share resources together. Share sorrows together. Share joy together. Share pain together. They share everything together. And God says, you ought to be praying in the Spirit, which means you be, ought to be praying under the control of the Spirit. And he won't pray nonsense. He won't pray anything contrary to the will of God. But you ought to be dependent and relying and praying. And sometimes our prayer times are as dry as dust. And you know they are. When in my early Christian life, I could barely get on my knees until I wept an hour. I, I, I learned to pray with my sister. She was a weeper. And we grew up as weeping people. We never, we never knew what a prayer meeting was unless you wiped your eyes. It was so full of emotion and expression and power. Wow, I miss it. I don't have it as much as I want it. Well, you just pour out your heart to God, and, and it's just like taking a bath, right? Like taking a bath. Then I've had, I, I, I shared with the church how that uh, studying the Bible will just dry you out. Yeah. I'm waiting for some protest out there. Ain't none of you studied it more than me. No, yeah. Don't talk to Susan Fernandez. She's just a beginner. Yeah. Now, I've been in this book since I was 15. I, I was her college teacher when I was 22. I love this book. 
I paid thousands of dollars of tuition to learn it. I bought thousands of dollars of books, often against my wife's will. Like when, I, when I never got paid uh, at the school sometimes, and when I'd get a set of books, I was going to seminary, uh, I had a trench coat that I, I would hide them like that because we didn't have enough money to do anything. But I'm sneaking books in. And, but in those days, our bookcase was in our bedroom. And she would just look up and say, that's a new book up there. I don't know how she did it, but she said, that's a new book up there. Well, how did you know that? Well, it was an eight-volume set. <laughs> I got to have it. I got to have it. But you know what? Some weeks I study. A lot of times I study 20 to 30 hours for a 40-minute sermon, and you hope I go 30. And I study 20, 25 hours, the text. And guess what? Some Friday nights, I'm whooped. I'm whooped. I'm mentally wore out. I am dry. And because you study yourself dry and you have to pray yourself on fire. If you've never been there, you don't know. I'm saying, God, I know this much. The wood is dry. I just need the fire. And the fire comes from praying. I remember and I admire that Dave Hurtado listened to me. I cry if any of the staff listened to me. And uh, when he first graduated from Talbot, he came back. He's hired on staff. I don't know. I just had this burden. And I called him my office. I said, David, you're a wonderful young man, been in this church since he's 14, and presses, you know, kind of a, a boy that just grew up in this church and loved Ted Montoya, took him in like a son. Wonderful, wonderful. I said, David, I'm so proud of your education and everything. Okay, you're going to be starting on staff, yeah. I said, you know what, you're getting ready to fail big time because you think that degree is going to make you red hot and you're going to be as dry and as dead as you can be. I said, we got a prayer room downstairs, and there's no other place, any job I know, that will pay you and give you time to pray an hour every day and be on the payroll. If you don't get acquainted with that prayer room, if I never get to catch you on your knees, you're headed for failure because you're not going to last in the ministry. God's not impressed you got a degree. He's going to ask you what's your temperature, and you only get that in the prayer room. And you know why some of you are so dry, even the Sunday school teachers, you're dry in your Christian life. You gave up praying. You don't have a prayer life. You found other, you got a text life. Maybe we get God on the internet. If we, if we just plug God in, maybe you'll talk to him. You know a bunch of trivia pursuit garbage. You're consumed. Boy, I'll tell you, my wife gets me if I'm reading the newspaper at breakfast. But I look over there, she'll be on the phone. <laughs> I said, well, what's the difference? I need to read the sports page to be up to date. And you're over there texting a bunch of nuns. Tell them to wait. How's your prayer life? Well, I, I don't have time for that because is it not amazing how many things rush your mind when you want to pray? 
I, I got a bill to pay. I got a letter I need to write. I got someone I got a text. I, you know, I, Lord, I would, I would, but I, I just don't have the time. Well, you do too. You don't, you got time to do what you want to do. Pray in the Spirit. Does anybody catch you doing that? Don't always say Bible study. Don't tell me about Bible. Oh, you're anti-Bible. Oh, you'd have to be out of your head to say that. But I've come many a Saturday. I was so dry. I said, God, I know what the Greek says. I know what John MacArthur said. I know what this guy said. But you know what? I don't have the rust of your spirit working in me. I'm going to be as dry as dust tomorrow or as cranky as I can be unless you touch my spirit. I can't preach unless you do something inside of me. It ain't just information. No, no, I love what Spurgeon said. The written word he loved, but he was only saved through the preached word. God ordained that men preach and that they preach in the spirit and that their preaching is not in the vain wisdom of men, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. People with spirit-filled ministries pray. They pray, they pray, they pray. We don't need better sermons. We need better praying. Oh, I tell you, we'll look. Uh, I pray that God's working in our men and father, son, get away with all these men. I pray the spirit of God's working up there. You must be praying. Are you just as dry as dry can be? You, no one's told you that because we're too nice in this church, but some of you can bore us to death with the Bible because you haven't prayed over it. You haven't prayed over the people. We can tell. Sometimes people say, you know what? There's not, sometimes you preach, you act semi-angry. I said, well, I sure am. And sometimes you come to church and you act semi-angry. Right? Got quiet now. He's going to tell his life. Because unless I pray, unless I call on God, I can be as cranky as anybody else but it's terrible to do it from the pulpit. I got to pray to get my heart straightened. I got to pray until God makes me love you like I ought to love you, and I can't get it just by study. I got to get it by study and prayer. Build yourselves up in the word and pray in the spirit. And thirdly, what does he say? Be waiting and longing for the mercy of our Lord, a phrase that refers to his second coming that when he comes again, it will be a merciful coming. It will be a merciful coming, which means when you see Jesus, he's not going to bring up your faults. By the time you see him, everything will have been settled. There'll be no charges against you. He's going to evaluate your life's work, but that will not be to condemnation. Just he'll say, that's worthless, that's valuable, and he's going to make the appraisal. And so how much of your life has worth in his sight was worthy of him so to be an appearing in mercy. Then he gives the fourth thing. He says, probably they're seeing in the church people being picked off by these false teachers. And they're in three different categories. He says, I want you to learn to show mercy to people being ensnared, misled, and confused by the false teachers that have invaded the church. 
This is what I want you to do. Notice what he says. And have mercy on those who doubt. And this literally means they, they're questioning. They, they don't know if Christ is truly deity. They, they may, not be, may not be sure about the Bible. They may not be sure about uh, ethical, moral issues. Yeah, whatever. Because these false teachers said it doesn't matter what you do sexually. They taught lasciviousness. Live, live with anyone, do anyone. Uh, and they did not, Jesus is a good teacher, but he's not God. All that. And uh, he said, they're doubting. I want you to show mercy on them. Isn't that interesting? I'm afraid sometimes we're not merciful to people who have false views. Did you know we were all wrong at one time? And uh, this is going to be meddlesome to you. Should we be hateful to a Jehovah's Witness? Is that our assignment? Throw them off your porch. It's false. Or should we be kind at the door? Don't let them in. I did. <laughs> Two women acted really nice, and they kept knocking on my door. Finally, I let them in. I got my Greek Testament, and I said, tell me what John 1.1 1, 1 says. Go. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, we can't read Greek. Well, I can't. You tell me what the Greek says. Let me tell you what it says. Are you ready? Hainton logos estin arche. In the beginning, arche, the logos was being. That's an imperfect tense. He was being the word of God. See that? They never came back. <laughs> I got him a cup of tea. That was the sweetest, because God made me see who's going to lead them to the Lord. Now, if you're a new believer, please don't have them in for tea. And don't try to get in an argument. But I figured I could handle it. And I wanted to show mercy. I believe God could save a Jehovah's Witness. I believe God could save a Mormon. I believe God could save you. I'm not commanded to be hateful. Some of you didn't need God's help to be hateful. You're born that way. <laughs> uh, you get a Jewish uh, person. Let's be, you know, those Jews are odd. Uh, you talk about being odd, you ought to be a Gentile. Remember, they started out with the truth. We were the ones that didn't have it. And God sent us a bunch of apostles that evangelized. They happen to be Jewish apostles. Don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant one against the other. He goes on and he says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. Wow, that's more intense, isn't it? And, and the idea is there, I mean, 
it seems to be these people have been so misled that he views them in imminent danger. They're on the edge. Uh, well, he sees them in a burning house. I, I mean, it's right there. Uh, other words, get a sense of urgency in you when you're dealing. They desperately need mercy. Uh, they're on the brink of some fatal choices, of fatal thinking. And, and would you urgently try to help them? Would you urgently try to rescue them? Or would you say, well, they got hell coming, so did I. Because they're, they're, they're in the church, obviously. He's writing to them, and they're being influenced by these false teachers. So he says, boy, you keep in the love of God. You keep in the word. You keep it praying. Keep looking for his coming. And your attitude towards people in the meantime is a dispenser of mercy. And mercy means compassion upon those suffering from some aspect of sin. It can be physical. Look, it's the most descriptive word of Christ when it described his emotion. He felt compassion for them. Think of this. When you're a perfect God, perfect God, surrounded with angels, surrounded with the Father, and you can see the Father, you can see the Spirit, you're adored from all eternity, and now you move to the ghetto of this universe, wouldn't everything bug him? And yet he said, I see a fallen woman, I want to forgive you. I see a blind Bartimaeus, I want to heal his eyes. I see a leper, I want to, why aren't you bugged? Aren't you holy? Aren't you, tell him you're holy. Tell him you can't get dirty with him. He said, I came to have compassion on you. Does anyone ever accuse us of being compassionate? A lot of the religious right are always hostile and hateful. That's why the liberals can't stand us. We couldn't lead a liberal to the Lord if we wanted to because they think we hate them. Shouldn't, shouldn't be. They ought to see the love of God. I'd do anything I could to snatch you out of your sin. Matter of fact, you may still be a liberal politically. I'm concerned about where you're going to go. Can you know Jesus? Could you know Jesus and vote Democrat? Hey, let me tell you, when you're in Texas, they, that would be hard for them because you've got to be Republican. What does the party have to do with how we treat people? What does the party have to do? We're to love all mankind. God has called us to hate no one, hate sin, hate our own coldness of heart, but not to hate people. He goes on. Third category in this mercy. Uh, to others, see, third category, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This is graphic. I've gone to ICU units before where I had to get dressed, wear a net over my hair, mask. The person was infected. 
They said, Mr. Howard, we don't want you to walk out with their disease. Get dressed. Do that. When you're working with TB victims, you better have your face covered. When you're dealing with lepers, you better not get the infection. Many a person in medicine, one mistake, one pricking of the finger at the wrong time, exposed to the wrong disease, has killed them. And here he's saying, there's some people so infected by their lifestyle and their sin that while you're pulling them out, you may become contaminated with their disease. This is a big issue when you're dealing with sex trafficking and sexual sins. Be sure you pull them out and not fall in. We had a brother in our church went into counseling, but in his counseling he began to deal with sexually troubled women who led him astray. Sin is contagious. Sin is lethal. Can we deal with the sinner without catching their disease? That's what he's saying. Have mercy. Seek to bring them relief. But at the same time, pay attention. Pay attention to your own life lest you catch the disease you're trying to rescue them from. So, the conditional love of God. Look with me, and I close with John. Look at John 14 and 15. And all the time, I want you to be asking yourself, am I smack dab in the middle of the love of God? Not am I loved by him, but am I in the most intimate place I could be? Listen to John 14. Verse, uh, pick up verse 21. Whoever has my commandments, uh, 14.21 of John. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, He it is who loves me. I'm amazed at people who say, I love you, Lord. I just don't want to obey you. I told the uh, impossible story, the gross story of my early days in the church. A young man came to me. He happened to be of a Baptist persuasion. He's dating a Pentecostal girl. He's living in fornication with her. And he comes to me and he says, Pastor, I want you to teach this girl the truth about tongues. She's all mixed up. I said, she's all mixed up and you're fornicating. You never brought that up. I guess Baptist, that's okay. No, no, ignore that he's in total disobedience to God, but he wants to straighten out this girl that he's living with. But I love Jesus. Oh, you do. Jesus said, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. Now notice that. If you're loving Jesus, the Father will love you in a special way that he doesn't love the world. This is intimate. This is deeper. 
and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You see that verse right there? This is conditional. If you're loving me, my father will be loving you. And I'll be make, disclosing myself to you in fellowship and, and intimacy. But you got to be obeying me. Well, I don't want to obey you. I don't want to. Well, we, God hears that all the time. You just won't be loved. He won't answer your prayers. He won't discipline you. He won't disown you. But he's going to cut off the assurance that you're being loved by him. It's totally different. He says in John 15, it's a little startling to us grace people because I'm loved, I'm loved no matter what I'm doing. Well, you are loved just like a perishing world's love, but this is conditional love. You won't get answers to prayers you don't pray. You can't be near a God you're not drawing near. He will let you backslide. He will let you grow cold. He will let you drift. He will let you make a lot of mistakes because you didn't put him first. You cannot be passive to this God. Israel, I will bless you as long as you do what I say. If you don't, you will become a captive of other nations. It is scary. It scares me as a pastor. I've always been afraid of Jesus blowing out this lampstand because He's not in covenant with anything we do here but those who obey his word. He owes us nothing. I want him. I'm afraid of him. I don't want to backslide as a preacher. And I've met many who have. Listen to what he says. Verse 9, 15-9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, look at this. Abide in my love. Well, you don't have to tell someone to do something they're already doing. No, he said, no, remain in my love. It's on you. Watch that. It keeps on. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I talked with a distraught believer here the other day. All kinds of crises. They just keep happening. They keep happening. They keep happening. They keep happening. You know why? There. They say this. I love God. And do as they please. And their life keeps falling apart. Their life just keeps crumbling. I love Jesus. No, you don't. How dare you? I had a woman cuss me out one time. I said, you don't love Jesus? She cussed me out in Jesus' name. I said, how dare you say I don't love Jesus? I said, you don't obey him. You won't do what he says. Well, I know I love him. Oh, you say you do. But so will the false teacher say, Lord, Lord, we knew you. And he'll say, I didn't know you. It's scary to go to hell while going to church. A lot of men up here are going to hell, and a lot of people sitting out there are going to hell. Because they've, they've got a name. They've got a, what did he say in 2 Timothy 3? They profess to be godly, but they deny its power to obey. They profess. They profess. 
Do you really know God? Are you loving? The way you can measure it, a good way, I think Jude gave us, how am I doing in his word? How am I doing in prayer? How am I doing about his coming? And what I say about second coming, I don't hear that much anymore, but wouldn't it be something if a bride-to-be said, I'm getting so depressed as the day is nearing? (laughs) Or would it be, I can't sleep because of anticipation? Do you long? He said, there's a crown of righteousness for those who love his appearing. Would you love for Jesus to show up today? I know you'd miss your barbecue, but would you love it? And then, I think the searching question to me and for you, how much mercy is emanating out of this church? I was just in Salem, Oregon last week. I met the sons of killers, drug guys, New York City, and these churchmen wanted me to meet them. This one guy had been in the youth group 16 years, cats all over, prison, drew the knife on youth leaders all the time, What was uh, hell on wheels, come to Christ. He gave me his card wrote it on a piece of paper. And uh, this boy saved, this man about 35 now, saved out of drugs and everything. We've had about 100 people saved over the last three to four months. They're doing things like this. They put on uh, community parties for the children of prisoners. When does the church have to put on a party for a bunch of prisoners' kids? Sound like rescue mission stuff. Why, why do we support a re- rescue mission that gives out all these toys at Christmas to a bunch of Southside kids? By George, my grandchildren deserve gifts, not some kid in the ghetto and his da- doesn't know his daddy. No, that couldn't get in your heart if you had no mercy. If mercy's not a part of your religion, to go out of your way for anybody. And you know, it's easy in a valley with our many years together now is for you to invite no one to church, for you to reach out to nobody outside of church, and for us to become the church that's always right but never compassionate. God, help us to stay in love with you by being in the Word, being in prayer, longing to see Jesus. And friend, in the meantime, I want to give you a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. I'm going to be merciful to people. God, deliver us from hate and fill us full of mercy. Our Father, I want to stay in love with you. Don't let me stray. We sang today, prone to wonder, prone to leave the God I love. I pray for our Dave. that left a son and a wife and we can't figure out what's going on. Let him return. I think of others who've turned away. A man this week, that when I wanted to talk to him about his life, he could just tell me what's wrong with the church. Never admitting his adultery. Never admitting his waywardness. It was all 
somebody in the church didn't treat him good enough? When will we quit making excuses and begin to seek your face and get back to obedience? It is better to obey than to sacrifice. Help us, almighty God. We desperately need revival. We need stirring. We need intercessory prayer. We need to weep over this generation. We need to be begging at your feet. Save our sons, our daughters. Bring them back. Don't let us lose our kids to a college education where they'll be filled with a liberalism that says deny Jesus and his word. Keep our kids in college. Keep them that are going back to high school. Keep, keep, keep. You said you can keep. We ask that you will. In the name, in the name, above every name, above every demon, above every false teacher, the name above every name, the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, everything on earth and in heaven shall bow, shall bow and declare that he is Lord to the glory of God. We already bow, Lord. We know you are Lord. You are Master. You are Messiah. You are the Redeemer of your people. We love you, and we want to stay in your love. Keep us from straying. Keep us from straying. Give us the boil back. Deliver us from lukewarm religion and from religious activity without the love that we had at the beginning. Oh, stir the embers of our heart to love you as we ought. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God bless you.